This is an adult education podcast of Lanier Technical College. If you are a lawful resident of the state of Georgia and are interested in more free lessons to improve your English or prepare for your high school equivalency diploma, such as the GED or HiSET, please visit our website, www.laniertech.edu. Click on Adult Education and follow the instructions. And now for our lesson. Hello, my name is Hallam Pope, Adult Education Instructor at Linear Technical College. Uh, welcome to our podcast, and today we will be diving into our first biology episode on the broad topics of genes, selection, and evolution. In this lesson, we will begin with the basics of genes and inheritance, the mechanics behind how genetic information is passed down from generation to generation, we will look at the process of selection and adaption, including the idea of natural selection in the environment, as well as selective breeding done by humans, which is sometimes also called artificial selection. And finally, we will have a look at Darwin's journey to the Galapagos Islands aboard the HMS Beagle, which famously resulted in him developing his theory of evolution by natural selection. Genetics is one of the most interesting topics in biology and the study of genes and heredity, that is, what genes are passed down to children, is incredibly important to the fields of medicine, ecology and the environment, and human history, anthropology and genealogy, or family history. So do you wonder how we might predict if a baby will be born with blue, brown or green eyes? What exactly is evolution and where did this theory come from? And have you ever wondered how we ended up with dogs like pugs and terriers or vegetables like cauliflower and broccoli? Only by studying genetics and evolution can we even begin to answer questions like these. So if these questions have you scratching your head or wanting to know more, keep listening as we take a closer look. We'll start by asking a relatively straightforward question. What exactly are genes? Chances are you've probably heard the term genetic code before, whether from documentaries or maybe even science fiction movies or TV shows. But think about what we even mean by the word code. Genes essentially contain information or code for what traits an organism will have. So on one level, you have the hidden code, the invisible information in genes that tells us what the visual or physical layer will look like, i.e. will the organism be big, small, tall, short, blue or red? You can think of the interaction between genes and physical traits a bit like painting by numbers, where each number on a black and white picture shows what color to paint that section. You have the hidden code, like the numbers, and then the physical appearance, what an organism looks like, the, the finished painting. Genes are made up of two parts. We call the different forms of these parts, which control aspects of a certain trait, like height or eye color, alleles. So, for example, the part of the gene that codes for brown eyes in an organism is an allele, and another part that codes for green eyes would also be an allele. We typically think of alleles in allele pairs, 
which come together to control a trait. So the allele for brown eyes and the allele for green eyes form a two allele pair or the gene that controls eye color. An interesting aspect of genes that we see when different genes interact is the existence of dominant alleles and recessive alleles. In sexual reproduction, a child of any two parents will inherit half of each parent's genes, and some of the alleles will be dominant and others recessive. Let's use our eye color example to illustrate. Dark brown eyes tend to be the more dominant allele for eye color, whereas blue eyes are, in comparison, the recessive allele. Dominant alleles usually win out over recessive ones, so if an individual has alleles for both blue and dark brown eyes, they will most likely have dark brown eyes when we look at their physical appearance. So let's say we have two parents, and each parent has two alleles for eye color. One they inherited from their mother and one from their father. We have one parent, for simplicity we'll say the mother, with two of the dominant alleles for dark brown eyes. The father, on the other hand, has two of the recessive alleles that represent blue eyes. If the two parents have a child, what color will his or her eyes be? Well, if the child inherits or receives one allele for eye color from each parent, we know that they will receive one dominant dark brown eye allele from the mother and one recessive blue eye allele from the father. This means we can expect the child to display dark brown eyes. This is hopefully pretty straightforward so far, but here's where things start to get interesting. What if we have another generation of parents, and this time the child from our first example is all grown up? So one person with one dark brown allele and one blue allele has a child with another person that has one dark brown allele and one blue allele. What alleles could this child inherit? This time we have a few different combinations. The child could inherit one dark brown allele from the mother and one dark brown allele from the father and end up with two dark brown alleles. And the chance of this is one in four. The second scenario is the child receives one blue allele from the mother and one blue from the father, leaving the child with two blue alleles. And again, there is a one in four chance of this. Lastly, we have two very similar scenarios. The child receives one dark brown allele from one parent and one blue allele from the other and the blue or dark brown could be from either parent here. The chance of either of these happening is 1 in 4, so the chance that the child will inherit one dark brown and one blue allele is 1 in 2, or 50% overall. Well, two dark brown alleles would result in dark brown eyes. Two blue alleles would result in blue eyes, and one dark brown and one blue would probably result in the child having brown eyes. There's a three out of four chance the child's eyes will be dark brown, 
and a 1 in 4 chance they will be blue. What's interesting about this is that we could end up with a child that shows blue eyes in his or her physical appearance, even though both parents here show dark brown eyes. This is because the parents both have one recessive blue eye allele. So it's important to remember that the genes a child inherits are not always what we can see in the parents. Some genetic traits are hidden in their genetic code. In fact, knowledge of inheritance has allowed us humans to produce new breeds of, say, dog through a process known as selective breeding. Any dog owners in the audience will know that some dogs are considered pedigree, meaning they have been bred from only one breed with a certain set of characteristic traits, and others are known as maybe mutts or mongrels, and they would be a mix of two or more dog breeds. Many will also know that domesticated dogs, that is, the kind we keep as pets, were originally bred from wolves. So how did we get from wolves to pugs and terriers? Well, breeders selected for the traits that they wanted. Since trait variation is natural, breeders could select the shortest male wolf and the shortest female wolf, and this pair would have a high chance of producing a litter of short wolf pups. This process could be repeated again and again, until all later generations of wolves have this short trait. Do the same thing for fur color and style, or tail and snout length, and over generations you'll eventually create a new breed. It's by this same process that humans produced kale, cabbage, broccoli, and cauliflower, all from the same ancestor known as wild mustard. Some plants, like kale and cabbage, were bred to have bigger, longer leaves, while broccoli and cauliflower were bred to have larger flowers. And that's the part that you eat. So again, this process of breeding, based on desirable traits, is known as selective breeding, or sometimes artificial selection. With that understood, let's move on to the topics of natural selection and evolution. Now, one name that we'll likely hear every time we talk about evolution is Charles Darwin. Darwin was a biologist and an explorer who, in 1831, traveled aboard the ship the HMS Beagle, visiting places all around the world, including the now famous Galapagos Islands in the southeast of the Pacific Ocean near South America. For such a small area, what Darwin saw there was an incredible diversity in the island's wildlife. One very famous observation by Darwin was the difference in the size and shape of the beaks of a closely related group of bird species. Darwin noted that the size and shape of the beaks varied from each area of the Galapagos to the next, and from island to island. He noticed that each type of beak seemed to be suited to whatever the nearby food sources were. For example, some beaks were better adapted for eating berries, some insects, and others nuts and seeds. These differences, which reflected the local environment, Darwin called adaptations. And from these observations, Darwin developed the idea of evolution by natural selection. Remember what we said about inheritance with our eye color example? 
Well, let's think about a different trait, like the size and shape of a beak. We can call these differences in traits, such as blue and brown eyes and big and small beaks, variations of traits. Now, one important thing to consider is that in order to pass genes onto the next generation, an organism has to survive long enough to do just that. Especially in the animal kingdom, there are many threats such as predators, disease, natural disasters, and man-made threats like deforestation that causes habitat loss. On top of this, there's competition. There's only so much food to go around, only so much space and materials with which to build a nest, only so many mates with which to produce children. I mean, plants are even having climbing matches and competing for light. You've probably also heard that proverb about the antelope. It doesn't have to outrun the lion, just outrun its buddy who's soon to be lunch. This combination of threats and competition means that only the animals best adapted to their environment, that is, those with variations best suited to compete in the local environment, will survive in the long run. An animal that's too slow gets eaten by predators, and so it doesn't pass on its genetic code to its children or offspring. A plant that's too short can't get enough sunlight, and so it too dies, and those organisms that do survive don't pass on their genes if they can't find a suitable partner to mate with. As time goes on, the organisms that have traits best suited and best adapted to the environment produce offspring with the same advantageous traits, and disadvantageous traits will tend to disappear from the species as the organisms with these traits die out or migrate to a place where they might have a better chance. This process is what Darwin called natural selection. The things that influence natural selection, environmental factors such as types of threats, access to food and mating behaviors and availability are known as selection pressures. Because the same species can find itself in many different environments with different selection pressures, over long periods of time, many groups of the same species of animal living in different environments will develop different adaptations and diverge into separate species. And this is just what Darwin saw with the different bird beaks adapted to the different island environments in the Galapagos. This adaption of species into different, separate species over long periods is what Darwin called evolution. He theorized that despite the variations in the bird's beaks, each species probably evolved from one single original species. So, different variations of traits and different selection pressures, such as threats and competition, is natural selection, and change by natural selection in a population over a long period of time that leads to the development of groups of animals with common traits different from an original group, which may be considered new species entirely, is evolution by natural selection. While natural selection can be observed over a shorter period of time, perhaps just a few generations, it's important to understand that evolution can only be observed in the long term as an entire population changes over time. 
In this way, we can think of natural selection as a mechanism or process that makes evolution possible. Okay, so now you have some background, let's spend some time testing your understanding and figuring out if there's anything worth spending a little more time going over. Let's begin with some simpler definition questions. Now, for those of you studying for the GED exam, you'll find the majority of questions on this kind of topic to be straightforward multiple choice, which should make answering a little easier. Right, so question one. Which of the following would be considered an allele? And you can answer true or false for each example. So which of the following would be considered an allele? A, a gene that controls eye color. True or false? B, the part of a gene controlling brown eyes. True or false? C, a gene that controls dark brown eyes. True or false? D, part of a gene controlling blue eyes. True or false? And E, half of a gene pair that controls tallness. True or false? Now, try not to get confused here. The important part here is understanding the difference between a gene and an allele. While we can say that both genes and alleles control genetic traits, we should also remember that alleles make up pairs of two alleles that work together to determine a trait. And we call these allele pairs genes. So for this question, is A, a gene that controls eye color, an allele? This one we could say is technically false. A gene is a pair of alleles that control a trait. So a gene is not an allele. What about B? Is the part of a gene controlling brown eyes an allele? True. The allele for brown eyes is part of a gene for eye color. How about C? A gene that controls dark brown eyes. Again, this one is false. An allele is part of a gene. D, part of a gene controlling blue eyes. True, the part of a gene that controls blue eyes is a blue eye color allele. And E, half of a gene pair that controls tallness. This one is also true. If two alleles come together to make a pair, and we call this a gene, then half of that gene that controls tallness, as opposed to shortness, is an allele. That was a bit of a tricky one to start off with, but it's important to understand the difference between genes and alleles. Okay, question two. A child has a parent with a gene for eye color. One allele controls blue eye color, and the other allele controls brown eye color. Which allele will the child inherit from the parent? A, the allele for brown eyes. B, the allele for blue eyes. C, a random allele, either brown or blue. Or D, 
both alleles. The child will inherit the gene with both brown and blue alleles from this parent. Okay, here we have maybe another tricky question, sorry. <laughs> Remember what we said about inheritance. A child will receive half of their genetic material from each parent, so 50% from their mother and 50% from their father. This is largely at random. There is no way of knowing if a child will inherit a dominant or recessive allele from a parent. So the correct answer here is C, a random allele, either brown or blue. Question three. Say we have two parents. One parent, the father, has a gene for height made up of two dominant alleles for tallness. The mother's gene for height is made up of one dominant allele for tallness and one recessive allele for shortness. What is the chance that the child will be taller? And for this question, assume that the child can only be taller or shorter and not some in-between or mid-height. So, what is the chance that the child will be taller? Is it A, 100%, B, 1 quarter or 25%, C, half or 50%, or is it D, 3 quarters or 75%? All right, let's walk through this one step by step. We said that we have a father with two dominant tallness alleles and a mother with one dominant tallness allele and one recessive shortness allele. So what alleles can this child inherit? Well, it has a 100% chance of inheriting the dominant tallness allele from the father since there are no other possibilities. This child then has a 50% chance of inheriting the dominant tallness allele from its mother and a 50% chance of inheriting the recessive shortness gene from her. This means that the child has a 50% chance to end up with two dominant tallness alleles, one from mom, one from dad, and a 50% chance to receive one dominant tallness allele from dad and one recessive shortness allele from mum. Then, taking what we know about dominant and recessive alleles, a child with two dominant tallness alleles will be taller, and a child with one dominant tallness gene and one recessive shortness gene will also be taller. Because of this, our answer here is A. Even though the child may inherit a recessive shortness allele, it will always inherit at least one dominant tallness allele, so it will likely be taller in height. Alright, we have one more question on genes, so question four. Now, say we have two frogs. A female frog with a color gene with one dominant allele for dark green and one recessive allele for yellow. And a male frog with the same gene and alleles. What is the chance that their frog child will be yellow? And again, assume that the frog can only be one color, dark green or yellow. 
and not somewhere in between? Is it A, 100%, B, one quarter or 25%, C, one half or 50%, or D, three quarters or 75%? And we'll add a part two here. So what is the chance that this frog, <laughs> this frog child will be dark green? A, 100%, B, one quarter or 25%, C, one half or 50%, or D, three quarters or 75%. So just like last time, let's first figure out what allele combinations this baby frog could inherit from each frog parent. Since both parents have one allele for dark green color, the child has a one quarter or 25% chance to inherit a dark green allele from both its parents. We also know that both parents have a yellow allele, so the baby frog also has a one quarter or 25% chance to inherit two yellow alleles. Finally, the child could also receive a dark green from dad and a yellow from mum, or a yellow from dad and a dark green from mum. So the child has a one in two or 50% chance of receiving one green and one yellow. Now again, we can apply what we know about dominant and recessive alleles. This time though, we have a one quarter or 25% chance that our frog child will have two recessive yellow genes, and so we'll have a yellow color. So the answer to part one of our question is B, one quarter or 25%. Remember that we said the dark green allele was dominant, and we have a one quarter or 25% chance that the frog will inherit two dark green alleles and a one in two or 50% chance that it will inherit one green and one yellow. Altogether, there is a three quarter chance or 75% chance that the baby frog will have at least one dominant dark green allele, meaning there's a three quarter or 75% chance that this frog will have dark green color. So the answer to part two is D three quarters or 75%. Hopefully that's not too complicated. And at the end of the day, inheritance is just probabilities. So just remember what happens with dominant and recessive alleles, and you should be fine. In real life, genes are rarely this simple and dominant alleles don't 100% determine a physical trait but the process is similar to our heavily simplified examples here. Now for some simpler questions. Question five. What did Darwin observe in the Galapagos that inspired his theory of evolution by natural selection? A, the size and shape of beaks in bird species. B, the size and shape of teeth in dog species. C, the height of palm tree species, or D, the speed at which a rabbit species ran. And of course, the answer here is A, Darwin observed the different beak sizes and shapes 
of many related bird species, which led him to believe that these species originally came from the same single species, but gradually evolved into new species as their environments changed over time. Question six, which of these is a selection pressure in evolution by natural selection? Is it A, predators, B, competition for mates, C, competition for food, D, disease, or E, all of these? All right, and the answer is E, all of these. A selection pressure is any factor that influences which organisms will be able to pass on their genetic material to a future generation. Predators are a selection pressure since the genetic material or genetic code of organisms they eat as prey cannot be passed on afterwards. The same is true for competition for food as organisms need food to survive. Competition for mates means that some organisms may be unable to secure a mate and have offspring. There are many more factors, but a selection pressure is essentially anything that stops an organism from producing offspring. Question 7. Which of these best describes the mechanics behind natural selection? Is it A. Variation of traits plus selection pressures? B. Inheritance and adaptation? C. Variations of traits and inheritance? Or is it D. Adaptation and survival? Okay, so what do we think? Which definition best captures the idea behind natural selection? Let's quickly define some of the terms used here. Recall that variation of traits means differences in the physical representation of genetic code. Variation of the trait of eye color leads to different people having eyes that are brown, green, blue, etc. Selection pressures, as we saw in the last question, are any factors in the environment that influence which organisms pass on their genes to offspring. Adaptations are variations of traits that are advantageous to the environment an organism lives in. An example would be the beak of a bird that has adapted to help birds break shells in order to eat the nuts inside. Lastly, inheritance describes the process of passing certain traits onto children or offspring via genes. While all of these things certainly play a part in natural selection, the best answer here is A, variation of traits and selection pressures. Through variation, some organisms will inherit traits that are better suited to their environment, and we call these traits adaptations. Selection pressures, such as predators or competition for food, then cause the members of a species that are not well adapted to an environment to gradually die off or migrate elsewhere. And this whole process is what we call natural selection. The reason the answer is A is because either variation or adaption and selection pressures are needed to explain natural selection as a concept.
Now for our last one. Question eight. Which best describes the relationship between natural selection and evolution? Is it A, natural selection is a mechanism causing populations of organisms to evolve over time? B, evolution causes organisms to adapt to the environment through natural selection? C, Evolution causes environmental changes that leads to different selection pressures. Or is it D, natural selection describes the change in one organism and evolution describes changes to a population? So, how are natural selection and evolution related? Remember that Darwin's theory was called the theory of evolution by natural selection. So we should think about natural selection as a part of evolution and not the other way around. That rules out B and C. We also know that both natural selection and evolution involve populations of organisms. The difference is that we can observe natural selection maybe over a few generations, whereas it takes millions of years to observe evolution as particular traits are spread and kept across a population. So our answer is A. Natural selection is a mechanism causing populations of organisms to evolve over time. And that is it for this podcast. Since we already did a lot of recap during our quiz section, we'll keep this summary brief. So just remember, Genes contain the code that determines an organism's physical traits. Each gene is made up of a pair of alleles that describe one aspect of that gene. In an eye color gene, we could have one allele for blue eyes and one for green. We call the passing down of genes to later generations inheritance. And in sexual reproduction, Children or offspring inherit one allele from each parent per gene. Dominant alleles tend to overwrite recessive ones, and so an organism with one dominant and one recessive allele for a trait will very likely display the trait coded in the dominant gene. Recessive alleles can remain hidden in populations over generations. Darwin developed his theory of evolution by natural selection while exploring the Galapagos Islands and noticing the different beaks of birds in different areas of the islands. He theorized that the birds were once the same species but had adapted different beak styles over time. Darwin explained that variations of traits could be seen within the same species. Traits that are advantageous in an environment help organisms to survive and reproduce, passing on these advantageous traits to their offspring. Selection pressures, such as predation, disease, and competition, mean that advantageous traits stay in a population and less advantageous traits tend to slowly disappear. Over millions of years, these gradual population changes lead to the development of very different organisms or even divergent or new species, and this is what we call evolution. We hope our first biology episode has been helpful and perhaps you learned something new. 
My name's Alan Pope. Thank you for listening to another Linear Technical College podcast. And as always, good luck on any upcoming exams. And until next time. This concludes the lesson. Please make a note of the time, complete your log sheet, and turn your log in to your instructor at the end of the week. Then complete the follow-up activities assigned by your instructor or in your course module. This podcast has been a production of Lanier Technical College Adult Education.